Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Healthy Mind Matters, brought to you by Intermountain Healthcare on KSL News Radio. Thank you for joining us for Healthy Mind Matters. I'm Maria Shaleos. I am joined today by Dr. Brooks Keishan. Uh, we are talking about how to help kids cope in this world of COVID-19 in which we are living in. And Dr. Keishan, when we took a break, we were talking about communications and how to help children. I'm wondering if there are do's and don'ts when parents are having these conversations, or maybe it would be more appropriate to say, is there a more positive way to deliver information to children than negative? Well, you know, I think it's, I don't look at it specifically as a positive versus negative because, you know, we don't want to certainly sugarcoat things. Uh, kids can read through that usually pretty darn well. Um, but I think from a communication standpoint, uh, getting back to what we talked about earlier in terms of using open-ended questions to ask the child or the adolescent, you know, what is it that they need? What is it they need to know? Or what do they want to talk about? Those are really the ways that are best suited to, to, to start the conversation. When we assume that what's most bothering them is, say, the pandemic, or we assume that what's most bothering them is the earthquake, we might actually go down the wrong pathway. Um, and it could be what we talked about with regards to not connecting with their friends, or maybe they're worried about a loved one who's traveling far away, or where they're worried about, you know, whether or not their, their pet is going to contract the illness. I mean, there, there's a series of things that, that could be happening that could be the main drivers of distress or worries for the kids. And if we assume going into it that what is most bothersome is X, then we miss that chance to have what is really a meaningful communication with our child about what is it that's actually uh, most concerning to them. Children show stress in much different ways than adults do, or we all show, you know, signs of stress in different ways. You mentioned a couple of the things that people should watch for, parents should watch for, but really, how can we really watch for signs of stress in children or fear or all of anxiety? So so the first way, um, and I'm a, you know, as you mentioned before, I'm a trauma-focused um, person, so I, I work with a lot of families uh, who are struggling with uh, responses to traumatic events. Really the first way is, is to actually ask them how they're feeling. Um, lots of kids can actually be looking great, but having um, underlying emotions, stresses, that they're trying to kind of keep bottled up inside. Um, sometimes we avoid asking kids how they're doing because we're worried what the answer is going to be. If we ask a child, you know, 
Do you want to talk about what's going on right now? Um, Tell me how you're feeling about all this. And they start to cry or they start to get nervous or they start to have an emotional response after we ask that question. It's really important for parents to recognize the question did not cause the child to become tearful or nervous. What the question did was it allowed the child to know that this is a safe space and a safe time where I can share with you how I'm feeling. And so we're not causing distress in the child by asking open-ended questions about how they're doing right now, but sometimes we are going to see some of those emotions that maybe were bottled up or the child was being avoidant to them. But, but now we know, and now we can start to work with the child and help address what the thoughts are that are leading to that distress, and also maybe work on helping the child calm themselves down or doing activities that will help the child feel better. How would you like to see families prepare to decrease risk in their families? Well, you know, it starts off with practical stuff. Um, You know, when we're talking about making sure our kids are doing okay, making sure that we're healthy and that we're taking care of all of our practical needs really are the first step. And depending on the age of the child or the adolescent, it's perfectly reasonable to include them as part of the discussion and as part of the preparations. Um, You know, if we need to be thinking about what do we need to get through from a food standpoint this week, let's let's have the child help make the grocery list. Um, if we want to make sure that our house is clean, let's let's include the child in chores. Um, you know, let's let's empower children to actually be physically um, helping, make sure that you know we're doing all the things we need to do uh, to be keeping ourselves safe. If we're trying to figure out a new routine, for example, now that uh, we're all doing the homeschooling. Let's include the child in helping put the schedule together for the day. Now, granted, we're not going to let the child create everything themselves without any guidance. It's a, it's a back and forth, but let's, help, let's allow the child to be part of the solution. There's an empowerment there that if, if we're allowed to solve problems, if we're allowed to be part of that process, that's protective towards some of those feelings of distress that really are inherently coming from a, a lack of control, a lack of empowerment to be able to do anything. Plus, it sounds like that goes a long way in reducing fear if the child knows that the family's prepared and is doing everything they can. Exactly, exactly. And, and there, it's not that I'm telling you, oh, we're fine. It's that I'm allowing you to be part of the process by which we are going to be fine. So it's that actual doing can be much more effective in communicating that same message than me just saying, trust me, everything's going to be okay. Right. And even young children enjoy being part of all of that. So just don't include your teenagers, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, we don't want to have the four-year-olds be putting away like the really um, breakable glass stuff. But from a developmental standpoint, you know, helping sweep, helping uh, fold uh, the towels, doing things that, you know, again, when things are calm and normal, it's those wonderful connection pieces that we like to do with younger children anyway. It just takes on an added benefit when things are stressful that going back to some of those things doing them together as a family, or as just a mother-child, father-child dyad, um, can can really be helpful in in enhancing that connection. Plus, increasing confidence in those children to know that they can be helpful. 
Exactly, exactly. I mean, that, that's what we're, that, that's the whole point of raising kids in the first place is for them to be self-sufficient. And, you know, we're not trying to have these kids grow up too quickly. But, but knowing that there are things that they can help with, um, that really can help protect against some of those fears and worries that, that are natural to happen at a time like this. We need to take a break. I am speaking with Dr. Brooks Keishan. He's a child abuse pediatrician and child psychiatrist at the University of Utah Health and Primary Children's Hospital. We'll be right back.